My message today is entitled, Approaching Jesus. As we approach Holy Week and the cross at Calvary, I would ask, what are you doing differently to prepare your hearts to draw near to Him? Because if we're not more focused on the cross and identifying with why Jesus had to go to the cross because of us, then we risk turning this time into a traditioned ritual instead of spiritually exercising and experiencing and honoring the most important event in history. If you ask kids what their favorite holiday is, they often say Christmas. When in reality to a Christian, the greatest holy day is Resurrection Sunday. If the cross does not still allure us and still humble us and still convict us, then we are in danger of our growth being stifled, our momentum being stalled, and our sanctification, which is being set apart for Christ from the world, becoming null and void. So what do we do if we can acknowledge that we are lacking in our zeal as we get closer to the cross? Well, we must return to the Word in full earnest. Not to just tell the story, but to immerse ourselves in what God is trying to teach us. To make sure we are not merely celebrating a secular holiday, but rather giving honor to the Lord on this most holiest of days, Let us learn how we all must approach Jesus. Let us approach His Word like we are approaching Him, with humility and expectant heart to receive from the Lord. So today we're going to look at a passage in Scripture in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Begin at verse 17. Mark 10, 17. says this, Now as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This is exciting. A possible convert comes to Jesus. I dare say it's what excites us as well. When someone comes to us, we're not out begging them, but they actually come to us and is excited to know more about Jesus and eternal life. So let's examine this young man's approach. First, he comes running to the Lord. He doesn't have to be begged or persuaded. He obviously has heard of Jesus and wants to see Him for himself. He wants to hear for himself. So he comes with great excitement. He didn't just walk up and wait in line and take a number. He ran directly to Jesus. Jesus made it a point to be accessible to all, even as He is today. It's only our shame or our ignorance or our indifference that keeps us away. Yet this man shows that the path to Jesus is open to anyone who seeks truth from Christ Himself. Therefore, just as none of the Jesus' disciples got in the way to hinder this man's approach, we also must make sure that we are doing everything that we can to create an atmosphere for people to come to Jesus without being hindered. We need to make sure that our traditions and our preferred ways of doing things don't prevent someone 
from running to Jesus. Well, the second thing that this man did was he knelt before Jesus. He humbled himself, recognizing the Lord's authority and giving reverence to Him. This too is how we are to approach Jesus. Understanding that we are not simply coming to a Santa Claus figure who gives us what we ask for. Rather, we humbly are drawn near to the King of Kings. Do you know what it means to, that Jesus is the King of Kings? I think because we don't live in a kingdom society, we, we miss a lot of these uh, parables and understanding when Jesus says He is the King of Kings. You see, in actual kingdoms, there's an unwritten rule that no one may have their head above the king. This is one reason why their thrones are up on a raised platform. If the king comes down to their level, they bow or they kneel. If the king sits down, they lay prostrate. Simply put, their head must never be above the king. This shows honor and a recognition of authority and reverence and respect. So I ask you, is there still reverence when you approach Jesus? Or has it become too commonplace that He's your buddy, that He's your pal, that He's your friend? There's songs like that right now. And yet Jesus is the King of kings. Do you take it for granted that Jesus sacrificed His own life so that we could approach Him? Well, the third thing this man did was to acknowledge Jesus had more, not, had more knowledge, the ultimate perspective, and was a teacher. Thus, he, had to, he came to the teacher asking a question for knowledge that he didn't have, saying that he wanted the answer. And calling him teacher, this man declared to himself to be in the role of a student. What does this mean? Well, it means that a student is not above his teacher. A student not only looks to be taught and to learn new things, but a student, here we go, a student expects to be corrected. How many of you are good students when it comes to God? Do you expect God to give you a pat on the back and say, way to go, you're doing a good job, keep it up? Or do you expect to be corrected? Because you don't have the knowledge that your teacher has. After having taught in schools for over 30 years myself, I can tell you that there are certainly students who are not willing to learn and not willing to be corrected and shown the right way. How about you? When you approach Jesus, do you expect Him to agree with you or to challenge you and to challenge your thinking? Do you expect Him to simply dispense knowledge and truth or do you expect Him to correct your thinking to go in alignment with His perfect wisdom. Only a humble student who honors the authority of his teacher is willing to be directed and corrected and then is able to be guided into understanding and truth. The problem in the instance of this young man is that he came to Jesus only seeing him as a teacher and not seeing him as God himself. In other words, he came to Jesus believing that he too could become like this teacher. If you give me what you have, then I'll have the same thing that you have. Then I can be wise too. He believed that if he could learn what this teacher had to do and replicate it, that he could earn favor with God. So in responding to this man's questions, Jesus didn't speak about, hey, if you want to be saved, he didn't speak about the love of God. He didn't say, hey, God loves you. You're doing everything right. 
He didn't tell the man that God had a wonderful plan for his life. Jesus didn't tell him just to simply repeat a prayer and he'd be all set and be saved. He did none of those things, unlike a lot of the modern evangelism that goes on today. Knowing this man's intentions, Jesus challenged his perspective. Mark 10, verse 18. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. It's here where some people say that Jesus admits that he's not God. Yet one can only draw this conclusion if it's not read in context. In context, this man only sees Jesus as a teacher looking for a way to learn how to replicate what he is doing or looking for ways to be good like this good teacher, as he calls Jesus. In other words, this man is about to justify his own good works to Jesus in an attempt to put forth that he has arrived, that he has earned or is deserving of salvation and favor with God. That's what people often say why they think that they should go to heaven, because they lived a good life and they've done more good than bad and they've helped others and they pray for others and they have a generous heart and because I'm a good person, God should let me into heaven. It happens all the time. So Jesus challenged this man's understanding of good by giving him the law. The Bible says the law was given to us to bring us to Christ, to show us that we need Christ. Jesus replied in Mark 10, verse 19, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. Verse 20, And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. You've got to believe at this point he's thinking, Good job. I'm all set. I'm going to get in... I'm going to inherit eternal life. The man answers the teacher by trying to justify why he should have favor with God and inherit eternal life. And in doing so, this man's ability to follow the law becomes a source of pride for him. He thinks very highly of himself and truly believes that the good things he has done in life are deserving of eternal life, such as believing that I have earned eternal life. You see, this young man was not humble after all. He didn't approach Jesus looking to be corrected, taught, and challenged. He came looking to be justified by what he had done. His motivation was off from the very beginning. He may have looked the part of a godly man, as some do, and he may have sounded the part of a godly man, as others do, but he lacked the understanding of the only way to be justified and attain true righteousness. The prophet Isaiah has this to say, chapter 64, verse 6. But we are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Now he's talking about everyone who believes in God and follows God, the people of God. You see, when we attempt to justify our goodness to God, either in our words or even in our thoughts, we merely cherry-pick Scriptures to show that we have followed a certain passage or a certain command. But God is saying that if you seek to justify yourself based on the law 
or by how good you think you're doing. The only way that God can accept this is that if you are 100% perfect in following every single point of the law and every single command in Scripture. See, the truth of the matter is there's two ways to Jesus. If you're perfect or if you accept Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf because you are not perfect and the world declares that no one is perfect. James 2.10 says this, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of it all. People go to jail and prison all the time for breaking one law, thus being a lawbreaker. Even though they may have followed all the other laws, you break one, you're a lawbreaker and we're held, and held to it. The same with the law of God. If we stumble in one point, we break the law. Therefore, we cannot attain salvation based on what we do because we all sin. And thus it is like offering filthy rags and saying that our good works should earn us favor with God. When God uses the true scales of justice, the only thing that balances the scale of salvation is a perfect life, one without any sin. Jesus, our Lamb of God, without blemish, was the only one who lived a perfect life. For He fulfilled every single requirement of the law. And he, thus He made a proper atonement or payment for the sins of mankind through His death on the cross. He is the only one who balances the scales. He is the only one who deserves eternal life. Thus, this young man has no case with Jesus justifying his works that he might be deserving of salvation. But notice how Jesus answers him. Mark 10, verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and take up your cross and follow Me. Jesus looked at him, and many people skip over this part, but Jesus looked at him in love and shared not what He wanted to hear, but what He needed to know. It's quite often that teachers of the Bible's truth are accused of being bigots and haters of people for giving people the truth to save their souls. I myself have been defamed often ever since, even since coming up here. I've had my name slandered on social media, on Facebook, on the Internet, and in public conversations. I've heard people say that I hate people because I give the truth to God, because I teach biblical truth. I know I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I am. I do believe in the absolute power and the absolute truth of God, even as Jesus taught it here. And the reason I share the uncompromised truth of God's Word is because I believe Jesus at His Word. Do you? I believe that only Jesus has the words of life. I believe that without Him we are eternally lost. I believe that Jesus is, and I know this is politically incorrect, but I believe Jesus has words that He is the only way and the only truth and the only life as He proclaims. 
I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and then willingly gave his life as a sacrifice, subjecting himself to the hands of evil men so that he could pay the price for our sins because we could not cross that chasm ourselves and so he had to lay down his life for us. I believe that. I believe that Jesus rose to, from the dead to give new life to anyone who is willing to submit to him, to acknowledge that they are sinners and in absolute need of his grace to receive eternal life. I believe that we need to repent, to change how we think about sin and our righteousness before God. I believe that we must confess our sins to God and bear fruits worthy of our repentance. I believe, as Jesus declared, that there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. And in saying that, people will call me a bigot, and people will call me a racist, and people will say, how come other... Religions can't believe what they want. You can believe what you want, but there's only one way to Jesus Christ. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible declares. If we do not believe it, then what are we doing? I believe that the message to the world is not to give them a pat on the back and to tell them they're going to be okay. Contrary to the World's politically correct message, I don't believe in pumping up someone's self-esteem so they feel better in the temporary. I believe, like Jesus in this passage here, that we are to love people enough to teach them about self-worth. That Jesus Christ loved you enough to die for you and for your sins. So that believing in Him and you putting your faith in Him alone and choosing to follow Him saves you from eternal damnation and translates you into His eternal kingdom forever and ever. That's what the Bible states and that's what I believe. These are the words of Jesus through and through the Bible. These are the words of truth and everyone that everyone needs to hear and to follow and accept to inherit eternal life. I believe Jesus at His Word. And I don't want to see a single person miss out on eternity because I or someone else was afraid to offend them by telling them the truth about eternity. So go ahead. Slander my name. Profane my reputation. Call me a bigot and a hater in the same way that people have continued to slander the name of Christ. The prophet Jeremiah said this, even though people were killing him as he continued to share the truth. A lot of people thought it would be great if I was a prophet or if God spoke directly to me. How great is that? Well, when you tell people what God's truth is, you get killed. You get persecuted. It's happening all over the world even now today. But the prophet Jeremiah said this, His word in my heart has become like a burning fire. It's shut up inside my bones. I've grown tired of trying to hold it back. Indeed, I cannot do it any longer. I must speak His Word, even if it means that I die in the process. I must speak His Word. I must give the truth. You see, this is not hatred. This is love. Sharing with someone the only way to heaven is Jesus. Do you love others enough to share the truth. That the only way to eternal life is to forsake the allure of the world. To reject the pride rising up in you. 
to reject your desire to justify your cause to God. To acknowledge that you are a sinner like I am a sinner and in need of His grace as we all are. And then to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. This is what Jesus told this man. And His response, the man's response, if you've known the story, the the event in the Bible, is probably one of the saddest events in the entire Bible. Jesus lovingly gave him the way to eternal life that he asked for. But look at this man's response. Verse 22. But he was sad at his word, at this word. And he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away. He didn't say, I'm wrong, please forgive me, I repent, I follow you. He went away. He took his sorrow with him. He took his guilt with him because he couldn't depart from his pride. He couldn't leave his need to be right. He couldn't leave his love for the world of riches and comfort and his reputation amongst others. If he was truly looking for the answer to eternal life, he would have done whatever it takes to receive it. What does it take? Humility, honesty, a willingness to repent, to turn from our sins and to follow Jesus instead of following the world. I line my life against Jesus who is perfect. I see that I am fallen, as we all are. And God doesn't shame us and slap us on the head. He says, just admit that you're a sinner and that you need to come to me. That's all it is. It's our own shame and guilt and condemnation that keeps us from Jesus. But if we would just understand that we are mistaken, that we are fallen, that we need Jesus, then the pathway to Him is wide open. When we are faced with the same conviction from Jesus, let us not walk away taking our sorrow, our justification, our pride, and our lifestyle with us. Let us instead allow the Holy Spirit to convict us Let us acknowledge that we have sinned. Let us repent and confess our sins to God. Let us ask God to forgive us and extend His grace upon us. Let us be willing to leave the allure of the world and choose to follow Jesus, knowing that He loved us enough while we were still sinners to reveal life-saving truth to us. Let us not walk away, but rather let us approach Him with greater respect, with greater reverence, and with greater acknowledgement of our need for a Savior. Let us seek to know Him as Paul sought to know Him. As we approach the cross, let this be our prayer as well knowing that we're coming upon Holy Week. May this be our prayer. Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
You see, if coming to Jesus is a ritual, there's no power there. If coming to Jesus just means we can talk like it and, and act like it without ever believing in our heart, there's no power there. But if we understand the sufferings that took place on our behalf, that He died for our sins, that we put Him on the cross, that it should produce a sorrow in us that realize that our sins are not the way to follow if we want eternal life. But if we conform to the fellowship of His sufferings, we realize the true love that only Jesus could give. That He loves me in spite of myself. In spite of my sin. In spite of my shortcomings. He loves me. He loves us. And He wants to bring all of us into eternity if we would just believe Him. You see, as we approach Jesus, our desire should be to know Him more today than yesterday. Do you still desire that? As Paul points out, the way to know Him more is to know the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. To understand why He had to go to the cross for our sins. Knowing that He did all of this because of His deep and perfect love for you, are you willing to show Him your love for Him by seeking to know Him more? If so, then we need to have this understanding as we approach Holy Week. The closer we get to the cross, the more aware we should be of our sin. The closer we get to Jesus, the more aware we should be of our absolute need for a Savior. And the closer we get to His presence, the greater our desire should be to leave this world behind and seek the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your perfect love. We thank You for dying for us, for forgiving us, for extending Your grace upon us so that we could become more like You. God, we know we are not perfect and we know we fail every day. But we thank You that Your grace is available to each one of us. To not just be a believer, but to be a disciple. To follow You. To take up our cross and to follow You each and every day. As we reflect on the words of the song and give our worship to You as our Savior, as our King, as our Lord, may You create a desire in our hearts to love You more than yesterday. We thank You for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
amazing. God wants the best for every one of us. God wants to enjoy the blessings that he's put around us in this life. The people, the beautiful nature, God wants us to enjoy all that. But understand, this is what we're passing through. And what he has in store for us is beyond our imagination. I believe there's colors that we can't see in this realm that we're going to see in heaven. I believe there's new sounds and new songs and blessings that we cannot even experience or even imagine what God has for us. The Bible says that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more death, no more waking up with sore bodies getting out of bed. God has a brand new body for all of us. God has eternal love to surround us why we choose God so we can enjoy the blessings here but we need need to know that we're passing through we love God we love Jesus we love others enough to tell them the truth and if you found yourself being convicted by any part of this message and realize you know what maybe I have taken Jesus for granted maybe it has become too commonplace maybe I've lost some of that reverence Maybe I'm not loving Jesus and showing it greater today than I did yesterday. There's no shame. God says, I've come to make all things new. To forgive you, to bless you, to heal, to extend grace upon you. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Now may we use those gifts to share your message of love and truth in this world. Thank you, God, to bless this church and keep us all whole. In your precious name we pray. Amen.